All right, that was the OCs with Block of Ice. Enjoy it uh, when you get to the end of this podcast. The whole song will be there. That was the first 15-ish seconds. But we're here with both the usual co-host of Darren Kester. Thank you, Darren. Hello. And once again, returning for the second time is the most esteemed David Hostetter. David? David Hostetter, thanks. Hostetter, yes. There's an ongoing battle. The Hostetter is Hostetter, which we will not get into today. Because that would take the entire show. Uh, but once again, of course, the Green Majority and Green Society campaign are well represented here today. But the first thing, as we always do, since this episode, we're sort of looking into the fact that uh, Dave and I actually did do a, a workshop at the Beyond Green Conference, which makes me think, at some point, Darren, I have to do one about yours. Please do. Uh, but we'll get there. However, uh, there is a YouTube video of mine, which it's true. Uh, obviously I'm now plugging. Yes, you can now watch all the whole YouTube video of Darren uh, doing his, his thing. I actually feature in one of them. I yell answers from behind the camera, so you can enjoy well, that. Well, actually, I, I had two separate ones, and, and the film from one was it was just unusable, unfortunately, due to uh, an echo. So uh, uh, I'd be happy to talk about the other one. All right, there we go. So that's what we'll do. We'll, talk, we'll bring you on for that uh, Green later. Majority videos? Yes. But first, as we always do, we have to ask Dave, what does Beyond Green mean to you? Beyond Green, I mean, I when I think of Beyond Green, I think of an understanding of the equality of intelligence that goes into every aspect of the Green Movement, or any, any aspect of someone working towards what they see as environmental sustainability or environmental goals. In terms of, I mean, there are people who make their professions out of working for nonprofits, or people who make their professions out of monkey-wrenching big business overseas, or being activists to the government. And... I think of using the tools at hand, like flying around the world, using video, using whatever modern technology we can to pursue the activism that you're doing, and not vilifying other people's types of activism, like not saying that breaking the law is bad because you have to work within the system, or that working within the system is bad because you're immediately conforming your message to the system at hand and therefore not changing anything. So it's like an understanding of uh, the collective importance of all aspects of the movement. That's a remarkably well-thought answer, given the fact that I presented this question to you maybe ten seconds ago. Um, cool. Okay. That's an excellent answer. I'll be, often, often we sort of move on after that. We sort of get people's opinions and then continue on with the show. So we're going to do exactly that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your answer. You're we'll on record. That. Yes. So, you are now in, in uh, maybe, maybe, official. Yeah, at some point, maybe we'll do a supercut of everyone's opinions on what Beyond Green means. <laughs> maybe before the next Beyond Green conference, which I, uh, I, I, I'm told is at some point going to exist. Mm. Who knows when. Next year. Uh, seems like it may be. But there's a much, much to be figured out before then. But ho- hopefully hopefully we'll have enough of a, a people responding on what Beyond Green means to them beforehand that we can make a super cut of all those answers. Yeah. And you'll be included. Uh, but today's show is actually sort of based around what our actual what our workshop was, which had to do with environmental media and how to make strong environmental messaging. We've... Been, the environmental movement has, uh, we basically say, is about 50 years old. Started in the early 60s, uh, at least as as modern day, as we know it modern day. Uh, you could argue that it started way, way earlier with conservation groups, blah, blah, blah. But we're saying it started then because for all intents and purposes, what we know is today did. So why have, after 50 years of, of, of environmental fighting, why have most environmental battles been lost? And what are we doing wrong? Or any ideas of why we're losing or, at the very least, what could be done better? That's the basic topic. I will throw it immediately to Darren first, because you haven't said anything yet. So, Darren... Oh, yeah, I'm here. I forgot. Yes, you're, you are here. I was just enjoying the nice podcast. There you go. I yeah. forgot that it's, I was there. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I would actually like to stay within my usual style, which is to attack the question itself. 
<laughs> yes, the constant battle uh, of my asking questions and you not answering them continues on episode 10. <laughs> no, no, I, I was going to say, I was just going to take your example at the beginning a little bit even further, which was to say, uh, you know, why has, you know, it, it's been not only uh, has the environmental movement lost, but it seems to be losing worse and worse all the time. Uh, and and also with the sense that also with the sense of that you know modern environmentalism versus when did it start? I, I was going to propose, if anything, that uh, that really what we're looking at is that environmentalism in the sense of like taking what we need and not taking things we don't need and being more in quote unquote in harmony with our environment, the environment around us, was something that like that, that's all nature does. Hmm. We only lost that when we got our big brains and we didn't need to fit into these tight little archetypes uh, of like function and you know males hunt, women do this. Blah blah blah. Apparently. We don't need we don't need that anymore, and so and so the rules are now more up to our own choice. And that, and, and so it was just to say that I'm saying that, is that because we don't need it, we haven't learned to use our modern brain powers and vast things and and vast uh, ability to use tools and computers and technology and virtual and and all these things that we we didn't we, we sort of dropped that thing that we bored us and went, ooh shiny. Uh, and that we it's not that you know technology is bad, but it's that we we need to relearn that. That thing of like, okay, there was a reason we were balanced, but we didn't have to think about it before. And so when we had the power to not be balanced, we kind of went nuts with it. And and so that's what it, I think. I think it's this further and further loss to technology without the primary understanding of the fact that we must, as a requirement, inescapably balance with the environment around it, around us, or the environment around us will balance us forcibly. <laughs> and that's what I'm worried about happening right now. But it's that, that I just wanted to sort of. Clarify that. I, I think that we started with, like, everything is born that way. Right. And it's that we've increasingly lost, it's been sort of purity and then increasingly lost. And I don't mean in the, in the silly sense of purity, but functionally we wouldn't have survived if we couldn't be in balance with the environment around us. Mm. And that limiting factor has been removed and we went nuts with it. Right. Okay. Uh, Dave, do you want first thoughts or do you want to... Um, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say it's, in, it's increasingly been lost since we, I guess, effectively removed ourselves from nature. Um, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about a, a, techno- a, a metabolic technology or a technology that metabolizes with the earth and a, and a society that does so as well. In the sense of a reorientation of our habits in general, which further and further mimic nature. Because in one sense, you could say that our technology, the better our technology gets, the less it is like nature. Or you could say that the better it gets, the more it will inevitably be like nature or alter nature itself. And therefore, the very technology that we develop will move us into closer reams or realms of um, contact nature or being like nature and just being able to, mm. by virtue of their existence, live with the earth. Mm. I, I, I also, like, I, I, I'm a huge technologist and I, and I, I call myself a, a technophile in the sense that I, I love technology and I love shiny things, but... I think it's also important to keep it in mind that, like, as as cool as, like, technology is, like, the neat little recorder thing we're using to record this podcast or any of our technology, spaceflight or any of that stuff, is we – the thing that impresses me about it is is not that, like, wow, look how powerful we are. Aren't we smart as humans? It's, wow, we had a specific need and we sort of, like, reorganized stuff around us to suit that specific need. And that's really impressive. We have computers that help us communicate internationally. But, like, when it comes to, like, actual, like, design, when it comes to actually, like, doing things amazingly, way, way better than we ever could, 
nature wins, man. It's just the point mm-hmm. that nature isn't directed. So I actually think of, like, technology, super high technology, even fancy laser stuff and VR and all that stuff. It It's neat, but it's not cooler than nature. Like, every all the coolest stuff we have is is a really bad copy of the way that nature does it. Uh, things like biomimicry, where, like, the, the coatings on space shuttles are... are um, they, they looked at the way that clamshells were, and they went, wow, that's inc- way stronger than anything we've ever devised. Metal doesn't matter. Uh, as far as a weight to hardness or whatever the, the scale is, like how the weight versus how useful it is at being a heat shield, it was just not even close to what we'd come up with before. So they went, okay, we're just going to copy nature. And and so it's like, and, and, and I think that's important not to, the, to, to sort of resist that idea that we're, look how powerful and drunk with power we are. We're really good at making like steampunk versions of what nature can do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really pathetic compared to what nature can do. It's just that we think we're neat because we made it do something really specific that suits some task that we wanted. Uh, but that's not better. That's just more effective to us in a certain scenario. Uh, and I, I don't know. That's that's sort of what keeps me grounded about sort of being sort of an ecologist, and also and and not thinking that technology is the solution to environmental problems, and still being super crazy into technology. It's that I, I think that I appreciate it in the right way. I th- all right. Um... Both, so we've got a, we've managed to begin this podcast in a way that I should have anticipated from the very beginning, <laughs> which is that we've now 10 minutes in and no one has even answered the question, <laughs> which was fantastic from both of you. Well done. Uh, we've got. What was uh, the question again? Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, I have many thoughts about whether or not the value of nature and whether or not nature is better than technology or how technology is removing us from nature. However, the real question of the podcast, which I will now give my thoughts on because you guys apparently aren't interested in actually providing such. Every. I was responding to that. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I was responding to <laughs> I, I understand why both of you did what you did, and now I'm going to bring us back, if I can. I'll all try. right, all right. I'll try. Uh, the question, of course, was why, of course, is the environment, uh, environmental field, environmental media, not succeeding in a way that we would hope or expect? Oh, well, no, then I, then I think I did answer your question, because my answer to that is just that people don't know what I just said. Okay, so, all right. So, you That's, th- so I, okay. I was actually answering okay. your question. Okay, all right. So, 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 you, so your opinion is that... Uh, that People don't understand that really what we're doing here is that technology is nothing better than what nature actually provides. It's, and it's, that, it's that we, yeah, we're, we're, I just think that we have a self-inflated sense of awesomeness about mm-hmm. us because we're fucking humans. <laughs> we can do shit. We have giant machines. We can crush things. Yeah, but you're a little robot. You're like Ford F-150. Ain't shit compared to a, a supernova. But does that mean... Right? Like, it, it, we, we have nothing. <laughs> like, what, what evolution can do over 20,000 years... It, it, is so mind-blowingly more like more effective at its actual purpose. It's just that it wasn't designed for us. That's yeah. the reason we don't think it's as cool. I'm just not sure if that means that we've forgotten how to originally be with nature, or that we simply haven't learned how to make high-tech societies that live in the same way. It's. I think that it's just that we've lost sight of that connection that we rely on nature because we're so distracted by our cool by our all our cool shit. But that's sort. Of, I guess that's my answer. Okay. Alright, um, we can continue to talk about this. I, I'm more than happy to, say, scrap the entire intention of this podcast. No, no, was, it, was that not an answer to the question? It was to some extent an answer to the question. Um, I think, there's, you know, again, that's a very interesting topic, which we can come back to in time. Um, but given the fact that it is supposed to be at least mildly related to the pod, to the Beyond Green workshop that we that that mm. we did host, which if the eight of you who I don't know, those of you who had twelve ish, we had we we actually we actually outdrew some much bigger names for mm-hmm. apparently no reason. I don't know why, but I was in some other other places. The fancy people. title. The fancy title probably. Dashing yeah. good looks. Yeah, there we go. Mm. Um, I'll take the comment. Um, but he's talking about Tyler. <laughs> Tyler's a sexy man. <laughs> 
He doesn't listen to this podcast, I don't think, so he won't hear that comment, but he deserves to not hear that comment because he doesn't listen to this podcast. I know. Take that, Tyler. But, okay, so, what I'll get to, uh, which is sort of the idea behind this, was really what the ways we're going about our environmental messaging, I think, is, is, isn't working. And perhaps we should, perhaps what we need actually is more of a, of a, of a way uh, that you speak of, Darren. Maybe what we really need to do is, I don't actually often see what this glorification of nature as a part of environmental messaging. Mm. Say, you know, the Planet Earth series, everybody loves and thinks it's amazing and it's, and it's great and it's very well done. But no one really sees it as a type of environmental messaging. No one sees Planet Earth mm. as a move towards anything environmental related. It's not like you watch Planet Earth and you're like, man, we should really stop making oceans so acidic so all of those cool animals still alive. No, no, that connection doesn't exist from that sort of nature worshipping. I don't know if that's because we have, maybe it's because of the hippie movement was such a failure that sort of that people gave up on that kind of aspect and they went more to like talking about environment in nature, economic terms. We did make that shift. What we've done, which I think is interesting, is that we've sort of shifted from coming up with nature reasons why we should protect the environment. And like, you know, the idea that nature in itself should be protected because it has value in of itself. And have just with two human reasons why I should protect the environment. Hmm. This is economically required. Like, we talk, you know, whenever I make an argument for why, or most of the time I'm arguing for, for climate change, it's things like, this number of many people will be affected. This is the cost that will that will arise from hurricane destruction. This is the cost to humans. It's always in a cost to humans sort of thing. And it's very, very rarely, at least now, put in the terms of, no, nature is fucking cool and we should let it be. That's just not. That's not an argument we see very often anymore. It's. It. I, I think part of it, and it, what's funny is that Dave actually phrased it in a way. Thank you for for helping me along. Uh, because what Dave said was that you know, uh, was that you know, it's uh, something you, you said something about like because you know we're not in nature, like we're in cities, and uh, there was some implication. I don't remember exactly what you said, but there was some impl- implication that sort of where we are isn't nature, and I think that's actually part of the problem is that like w- what we've done is now so big that people don't think they see nature. Well, nature is like a park. But, like, just because we fucked with some stuff doesn't mean we're not in nature anymore. Nature is everything. Everything's nature. Like, it, it's... What's wrong with that is that it implies, for instance, that, like, there isn't ecosystems within cities, which, of course, there are. There's really complex ones. There's tens of thousands of types of bees and all that. Like, that we're still in nature. We've, we've just paved over it. But it's still there. Like, it's not... It doesn't not exist now, right? Like, there's ecosystems of birds and raccoons and all these things. Like, we, it's in a modified nature, but it's still nature. So when we talk about, like, you should care about nature, that, that's like you should care about your street and your house and your tree. That's... All of that's nature. And the, and the parks and the oceans and all that stuff too, but like everything's nature. And it's, and it's like, oh, this is a city. It's people, it's like your sink. Uh, Oh, it's a metal sink. So it's a city, right? It's an urban area. So if it gets dirty, I can just clean it. But, but that's not how that works. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think, I think you're thinking about technology as never being, or anything we have never being as good as what nature can create. You're already creating that dichotomy between nature and our society or our creations. So, no, well, no, but the, the hair I would split there was that when we're talking about in a technology sense was just that nature is anything that arises on its own and anything that requires a mind to assemble it intentionally outside of natural forces is technology. But I would consider all of it natural in the sense that none of it is supernatural or unnatural. It's not from ghosts. Yeah, it's not so, from magic. So it's all nature. But just because we don't think of it as nature doesn't mean it isn't. That's the mindset that makes us think that, yeah, we have all these technologies and to understand that this is nature is to understand that we're simply a less efficient, or that we're simply making things that aren't efficiently re-metabolizing into the earth. So we think of throwing out bicycles or, or whatever mm-hmm. trash into the, into the landfill, or recycling. Recycling is decent, but it's, it's not nearly as effective as 
simply being biodegradable. Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about our society as natural, then that's when I think the conceptual shift can occur, which uh, leads to technologies which actually do biodegrade and create life because of their decomposition. Hmm. Well, that's, that's why I really like things about um, uh, sci-fi and stuff like that, where they talk about like uh, biology and electronics merging completely, like the complete uh, intermixing of technology and humans and, and like cyborgs and that sort of hmm. stuff, but in the sense where it's not just like, it starts with implanting of, you know, attachments to things to people's yeah. arms, but then eventually it's that, you know, some people's nightmare, some people's dream of, like, complete full integration, digital <laughs> brains, yeah. all that stuff. And, like, at some point, like, there is a point, and it's not even that hard to imagine. I mean, it's hard to imagine in the sense that, like, I don't think it'll happen within my lifetime, but I don't think really anyone that's really thought much about it ever goes, no, that couldn't happen, right? <laughs> and so at that point, where do you draw the line? And so if you can't draw the line... In integration, and you can see a line between where we are and there's integration, then what that means is that there's no difference now. We just aren't recognizing it because it isn't interspliced enough. We've sort of artificially created two categories where two categories don't really exist. No longer is there any concept of authentic reality. People think of images and the internet as being not real. Whereas mm. if, if everyone's on a virtual plane of being integrated into constant technology, and nature is technology, or a mm. technology is the way nature works... It's, that, it's, that dichotomy also breaks down. It's it, it's us augmenting our evolution. We we've stopped mm -hmm. evolving. I, it, this, I'm not coming up with this idea. This is an idea I've heard a million times or a million places. But the <coughs> idea where it's like we've sort of stopped evolving. Uh, not, you can't stop evolving. Like so, like your body's still doing things. But like we're now we've now learned how to augment our evolution by making up for certain things. So, but there's other consequences of that too. Where like not consequences, but it it changes the metric. Um, where like you know people that now we can cure diseases or people can be in wheelchairs. So before there was a heavier selection pressure uh, for humans and now there's not as much selection pressure, right? Because yeah. now we can make up for people's natural, things that would have caused you to be sort of weaned out of the herd as it were, as cold as that might sound. I mean, we're talking about humanity, not a specific group of people, right? And that's just what would have happened. Um, and, and now that doesn't happen as much. So now we're like, now we're the, the matrix, we're like a virus. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> Mr. Smith, where we just like, we're out of control. Our limits have been removed and we're out of control. And, and, and as much as I, 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 I do really appreciate the Mr. Smith from the matrix and the way he put it, I don't think the way he's putting it is right, but I think it's important to consider it that way, to look at it that way, just for a minute to get perspective that we're just a virus consuming and that we're going to burn ourselves out after we consume everything and that there's, we're going to leave a wasteland. That's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's important to think of, yeah future evolution as evolution through human will. Mm -hmm. actually choosing the future and choosing to evolve as yeah. a species. But I, I don't think to, to, to make a, a very a very thin attempt to stay near mm -hmm. the topic um, would be that I think that I don't think we're there yet. And the mm -hmm. problem, and that's why it's failing, mm -hmm. is that some people recognize this. I think I think there's a very small... People recognize that, uh, what we're talking about, this concept of mm -hmm. sort of future, but like most people don't look that far into the into the future. Right. And, I, and I think people's willingness to sort of be a part of the solution or, or uh, you know, talk about it or, or have it be important for them to, for it to be on their radar at all and to think about any of these things is, is sort of dependent on their degree to which they can think beyond themselves and the, both spatially and temporally, hmm. if the certain you know certain people are are not good or they just don't at thinking outside of people more than themselves, and they also can't think outside of time very much. They're just very much only in in the moment for everything. You're not going to be able to recognize these things and learn from them. It's 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 like how far ahead of you you can see on a highway when there's fog. Right. Are you looking in front of the car or are you looking down the road? And and those people who are looking down the road, I think, get it very quickly. Hmm. Um, but I don't think most people are. I think most people are, are trying to like. 
look at the the front of their car to see right. if a bird pooped on it or something. You know, <laughs> that actually does segue back somewhat into the actual conversation. You're welcome. Yes, well done. <laughs> um, in that, I really, I really do think that that's that's a big part of it. I think there's what our society has managed to do very, very effectively is create a system where we are following exactly the path that is set out for us, to some extent, by individual people. Mm. Um, and that the and people have managed to, because of the fact that the, the way the words, the, what has become considered serious, I think, this is actually, this is, what has become considered serious thinking, mm. uh, to put that in air quotes, as I always do that, no one ever <laughs> see air quotes, but yeah, I put them in air quotes. Uh, serious thinking involves things like economics, politics and you know and 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 where you're gonna get your job basically you know like mm-hmm. the things that keep you alive and in, in our society uh but that serious thinking as again in, in air quotes doesn't match up with the type of long-term thinking that you that you are you're identifying is required mm-hmm. uh for this kind of understanding of what actually needs to happen because if you're t- if if, I, if my if my job if I'm a serious person who needs to understand my, that what am I what am I thinking about I'm thinking about retirement savings right now mm-hmm. I'm thinking about where I'm going to get a job I'm thinking about you know where I'm going to find a life partner to spend my life with and raise two children I was just going to say can you imagine trying to do what we're trying to do right now and like have a kid yes it's exactly. it's not possible it's no. Not, it's no there's no judgment on on other people who like uh, you know I don't have time to be super active no 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 we get it like yeah. <laughs> there there's no sort of finger wagging going on at all yeah. if anything that's why you should support us exactly and, like, and, and I think there's a <laughs> little jig um exactly I think there's I think that really is it, it speaks to a lot is if you're if you're in society today and you have and you and you listen to what society tells you is important, mm. none of this thinking is considered important. No. The idea that there's a reason why all humanities majors are put down upon. If you're th- like if you sit around thinking about this kind of stuff, that's actually what I talk to people about. You're going to get a lot of blank stares. You get a lot of people who dis- mm. disengage with you. You get a lot of people because because you're not talking in it. Well, they, they don't think what you're talking about is important. Like mm. for what society has managed to do very effectively is there are leisure things you talk about, and there are serious things you talk about. Serious things you talk about are family, uh, where who's going to get elected, lead your country, religion. and jobs and religion. Um, non-serious things to talk about are sports, fashion. And entertainment news, blah blah blah. Then there's a whole segment of things that just you just don't talk about, yeah. like you know, except even for, less legitimate. Than yeah. shopping. Where would poetry and art fall in there, though? Somewhere I, I, I above that, the environment. I would say, I think, I think, I think our society because it lets people smile nicely and go, uh huh. If they yeah, don't care, yeah. Like I see, I, I see poetry and the poetry and more experimental art and and things like that have fallen in, in environmental thinking in many ways have fallen to this third category that most of the world doesn't even start to care about. Hmm. Like they turn their brains off to these sort of things because you can't think of them in a way as just fluffy entertainment because they're asking serious questions. But you also can't sort of think of them as serious things because they're nothing... leading to financial boom. Exactly, because there's nothing to do with exactly. Is it the serious things are my job and my family? That doesn't exactly. fit into any of these predefined categories. I think exactly, and it, so so because it's both not obviously fluffy and not super important, so you can have all these fun conversations about it, like sports and entertainment, blah blah. Did you hear about climate change? Exactly. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's a new musical. Yeah. Or not fun. Not fun. Exactly. And so I think I think that's part of the reason the problem we're having is it's it's in this third category that nobody wants to engage with. If you're talking about the environment, people assume 
that you are criticizing them. Whether oh, yeah. you're saying it or not, they, they feel like you're implying it. Like, how many times have you ever had someone be like, oh, I really tried to be vegan, or, or I'm sorry we don't have any vegetarian food for you, or I try to recycle sometimes, I don't know why I'm throwing this garbage out. Like, I don't give a shit. Live your fucking life, man. Yeah. The whole reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because individual people's decisions is not enough. It's entirely wholesalely insufficient. So, like... I don't expect everyone to do anything. The thing we need to do is change the fucking system so that everybody does the right thing by default. Having a system designed around things that we need it benefits everybody. Then you don't have to fucking think about it. That's what I want to argue for. I don't want you to have to care about the environment. I want it to be already taken care of as part of the system so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, for the, fuck's sake. And the environmental <laughs> messaging, though, is only is, who is it geared towards? Only those in power. Like, only those who are already capable of making the change. Whereas, no, like, if you think about the effectiveness of environmental messaging... Um, like, I would say that it is, it has already been quite effective. Like, I read, I read this, um, report on a study where they, um, interviewed, or they surveyed American voters and they said, uh, they asked them whether or not they think climate change is a big issue. And all of them, when it's not voting time, say, yes, like, this is one of my biggest priorities. And then when the vote comes around, it's all about I jobs. I haven't seen anything get any higher, in the um, U.S. anyway, I haven't seen anything get higher than, like, 55%. Well, in terms of, like, in terms of, anyway, I don't know when the study was, that might have been the 90s. Um, oh, yeah, that would make a big difference. But, yeah. I mean, um, like, last couple of years, yeah. But, well, yeah, especially because of the recession. But, I mean, because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. people people often think about, like, the environment for whom. What I see as the environment is my immediate environment, which is, can I feed my children? Like, mm. can, like, will I get laid off in the next few weeks? And I was working at a coal factory or a steel factory or some polluting thing. Don't talk to me about taking care of my lawn or shutting down energy sectors. Yeah. Like, I just need to survive in the economy, in the economy as, as it exists as such. So there's like a whole group of, of, of uh, maybe disenfranchised people who aren't even ready to hear that kind of debate. Mm-hmm. And quite rightly, I think, like, but it's, why should they? But, it's, but I think that's only due to the fact that the counter-movement to this has been very effective at framing people about it's a, that it's an economy or environment. Like, all the arguments you ever hear about the tar sands is, this is, like... It's such an opportunity to do this. Well, like, you know what? Also, there's another bun- there's a whole bunch of other opportunities. You're just you're obsessed with one, and you're ignoring all other options. And and I think that's the reason like that people end up feeling that way is because it's the the media in general and most people in general have accepted this idea that if you're helping the environment, it's at the detriment of jobs. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Shutting down coal plants. No, no, no. You shut down the coal plant, and then you open something else. And we have some ideas about what that might be, but that's I, that's what you're identifying is completely right. But I think it's entirely due to very, very good marketing by the wrong people. Well, I would, I would, I'm going to, and, and then I don't think that it's actually true, but I, I think I agree with you that most people think that's true. Yeah. Well, I would say that I, I think what ends up ends up really happening is when what we've seen happen is is early on, uh, the very early environmental messaging I think has was such that has led us to this sort of fate to some extent and that very early on it, environmentalism came from a position of conservation and came from a position of doing less using less act mm-hmm. less like the, like less 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 give less. up stuff you like exactly yeah is the whole message exactly you. yeah because of that that sort of led that made it so much easier to make the jump to then be like yes by less they mean less consumerism which means less money in the economy which means less like, We're all gonna get laid off. Exactly, and... and I think, and I think what is interesting is what happened more recently is with the rise of clean tech and with the rise of more and more and more and more things being online and sort of like that. That dichotomy is is less and less accurate in many ways. You know, if you could get, if you, you like, who cares how much energy a society uses if it's all wind? 
Yeah, it's not. It's it, it's it's not like if, if if all you're doing is empowering all your data centers by, with wind generation, and you just want to own seven thousand games and movies and anything you want to have, and all of that's done online, and all of that's done just through the use of this one of, of wind energy. There's absolutely no reason that shouldn't be possible. Yeah. Like maybe it'd be difficult to create enough wind energy, <laughs> but if that's the only barrier, then that's not. Well, the thing is that we don't need to rely on only wind energy. And well, exactly. There's, there's multitudes of different things that we can get energy from, and, and the like wind, solar, there's a few big basic ones that we know about right now. Hmm. In the meantime, as we pursue those, other technologies will come online. But like, there's, there's literally thousands of different ways to make energy. Right. And we haven't investigated any of them because for the past hundred years, we've been intentionally obsessed, intentionally obsessed with oil. Right. My point was, was nothing to do with whether or not, you know, wind energy, pumps wind energy. My point was, what had right. to do with the fact that we don't, we should not think, and I think that's interesting, I think if you're interested in this kind of stuff, Tom Rand is by far one of the best speakers on the subject of the fact that well, you're not, you're not giving up something to become more energy efficient, and you're not giving up something to become more environmentally friendly and sustainable. The sustainable world can be really fucking cool. The sustainable world it's way is cooler. really fucking it's cool. It's way cooler. And, and, and a lot of the most sustainable actions I've done, most, most things that I've seen that are the, the most em- interesting emerging technologies, the most interesting emerging ideas come from this idea. Most and of the people that tell me they don't like electric cars who are car people have never driven an electric car. Right. Like, they're, they're, like the, they're, they, they're better in every way. Yeah. And, and like, except for the sort of cachet of, like, I, I understand the nostalgia of, like, a gas vehicle, but it should be, like, the sort of thing that, you know, it's, like, the, the rarity with which we see those, like, really old cars and you're like, wow, look, that guy's got a car like, picked up from, like, the 50s. That's how often we should be seeing gas vehicles. Mm. And you can have them and you can do it, but, like, it, we should be at, like, 95% penetration by now. Yeah. And and think about how far and how far along we'd be if we had done that. Like, yeah. no. I, mean, I think we can also think of it morosely in terms of uh, disaster politics. I read that I think it was in in Britain anyway. Like they they didn't switch to. It took them a long time to switch to being able to use oil. Like they were on coal forever, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until a war came along that they needed a lot more energy. Until it was actually politically possible to switch to an energy like oil, and so then. After that disaster, oil becomes seen as necessary and becomes entrenched in society as mm. we know it and runs everything that we do. Mm. Um, and what's interesting, so we can think of it as requiring a drastic occurrence mm. to have an energy shift. Yeah. Like people think of wars as comp- great drivers for change. Not to, that you should be advocating for a war because it'll change things, right. but that's uh, the pessimistic view of. Oh, for sure. War. And what's interesting, I think, is, is two thoughts out of that. One is. I think you're right. As, as, as Fukushima has shown, uh, a massive, massive change can be made very, very quickly uh, if, if the disaster is big enough and people are scared enough. What is it that happened? You mean everybody hates nuclear now? Yeah, nuclear, n- nuclear, was, nuclear was devastated. Like, all over, can, plants are canceled all over the place. You know, basically, Japan said they're going all get rid of all of it. What are they we'll going see, for now? Uh, renewables, sort of. It's, it's, it's in the mix. We'll see. But all this sort of stuff has happened because of this, because of because of that. But the, 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 I think the problem is, is that we can't, we won't see something like that necessarily with oil, because there is no problem or no disaster big enough that will then convince people that they don't have to drive to work, 
oil has managed to become so ubiquitous within our mainstream society. I think I think it'd be honestly way easier to get rid of coal and natural gas than wood oil. Uh, because if anything terrible goes wrong with either of those two, that's a pretty easy system change. Whereas we're going to have to fight... Basically, I don't see oil being able to be just dropped until we see a massive, massive, massive rise in electric vehicles. Until until the individual average day person doesn't have to use oil to do the things they need to do. I don't think any disaster... Like, we could lose all of Russia to some gigantic oil spill that just covers fucking Russia. Like, oh, there goes Russia. Yeah, that's too bad. We never really liked those guys anyways. Ha-ha. But, like, that's really... That's that's what you get. You wouldn't get... you. I don't think you could see... For the record, see, we love Russians. We, we just do hate love, Russia. Yeah. Well, well, even, <laughs> like, I was being... Um, I was being North America in general. I was... There was a, there was a long thing. Um, Since when did I become the censor? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I apologize to all Russia. Uh, but the point of that is... is It's true. Like, we... Like, Deepwater Horizon should have been the death knell for oil. It ha- like it should have been it, 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 in the same way that Sandy Hook should have been the end of like you know crazy gun laws in the U.S. But exactly. Like, it's yeah. It's, but, I, but I don't think it just has to do even with oil. I think it's just that the, that people are now like oh well like it's so deeply ingrained that people just expect certain things that it, yeah I think you're right. I, think, I don't think anything could possibly happen. Yeah, well, I think well, I think well, I mean say you think of a, a large scale large scale international war in which the countries who actually own the oil refuse to give it to the other countries, and, and then, then so the US countries are are, no, are completely cut off. Well, I mean, it depends on what the actual situation is, but then people are still cut off from the actual access to oil, and then homeland development. What is it? Well, Obama's going on all the time about uh, energy security. Yeah, mm. that's and a so huge United States thing. If countries be like, and that's what happened. When I was telling Stefan a second ago after you left about Britain requiring more energy for the war, so we shifting from coal to oil. So, I mean, in, in a situation where you need energy and you can't get it because there's antagonism between states, mm. that's but, something like an impetus that could be... Yeah, for, but what's, 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 what, what I, the other point I want to make off that point, which I'm glad you brought it back, because it makes both points, which is fantastic, <laughs> uh, is that what's, what should be enough of an indicator to the world that fossil fuels are, are, are the thing of the past is that the Pentagon is greening itself faster than any other part of the United States. Like, the United States military I is going to be... I years ago, yeah. Is going to oh, be... Yeah, I heard about that. They, have, they, have, they, they are, they are, they are commi- more committed than literally any other part of the United States government. Like, if the rest of the government was run... Like, everyone always says the United States military is, is like, 20, 30 years ahead of the rest of the United States. They had integration faster. They had sort of more women rights faster. Like every sort of like, like the United States military has always been because they because they basically see the value. I was of, I was gonna say gay rights, but DOMA passed before uh, or the canceling of Don't Ask Don't Tell. Yeah, before, thing before happened DOMA. before most states. So no, yeah. actually that holds true. Yeah, Very, yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, and it, it's because I think it, honestly I think it's because if one thing the military does well, it's they look at science, they look at what like they do empirical research on things. On, on anything, you know, whether or not, you know, do we need more, is racial integration fine? Yes, we've discovered this. Well, it's from also the unilateral decision-making, right? And well, to, some, to some extent, yeah, at least it's from 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 top-down, yeah. Uh, and there's no, there's, you, you do with Congress in some way, but not I mean, nearly What's interesting is that way. it's top-down in the way that you think that, like, some of the most conservative people in the country would be, but they're yeah. also very, by nature, very practical people. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and, that's, and that's, the practicality is, is what I'm trying to get at, is I mean, that... It's not like yeah, platoons rights, like no, checks and no, balances. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, exactly. And so in the sense of, sense. like, yeah, if there's clear-cut, like, okay, we know for a fact that this is happening, the politics of who's making money, and yeah, yeah, that'll go on, but, yeah. like, we need to... 
be bad already constantly, and that exactly. means making the, the choices that are obvious are right yeah. in front of you. And so you and see, it's like, so hilarious. It's absolutely hysterical. Yeah, that that's the case. That, that, that here's 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 what is considered probably the, the most swift action in the world. The yeah, US military. It, the U.S. and SS military. And, and they, what I think that, I'm pretty sure the last thing I saw was uh, I know I know that they have a solar powered aircraft carrier. Like, what if I had a huge fucking aircraft. The whole gun? landing deck being a giant solar thing, and then some tidal stuff. Yeah, yeah you, like, yeah, I can see like, that. Like happen. they've they've really and, and 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 that's and that's where they're focused a lot of their energy on. They probably just, have backup nuclear generators, but they, I'm sure they do. But like, what's interesting is is that if anything should be an example as to why fossil fuel is dead, and it's interesting is because now we're hard, we're, we're starting to hear more things about unburnable carbon from the World Bank from economists. Mm. I some I, I was at a meeting recently. Or, World or, Bank. Yeah, the yeah. World Bank. The World Bank yeah. is huge on the environment now. The guy, the head president of the World, World Bank, Bank right now. Uh, last couple of years, the president of the out of nowhere, out, out of left field. Yeah. Well, the, the president of the World Bank is absolutely huge baller uh, now. If he's, if he's the same guy as he was last year, which I'm pretty sure he is. But also beyond that, the other the other part of it was not only I was in a meeting or I was in a I think it was a lecture of some sort, and they were saying that the number one person. Oh, you know what it was? It was actually during the Bob Green conference. Uh-huh. And I think it might have been to Barbara Berman, but I don't quote me on that. She was talking about the conferences that she had been to. The people who are really actually starting to worry about carbon and, de- and, and starting to more talk about divestment of carbon were economists. Because hmm. economists were beginning to sort of see the, how the tide changed. And interestingly, the writing is on the, the wall. writing is on the wall. And interesting, a very, very similar thing happened with the coal industry in Ontario. The coal industry on Ontario asked the government to give them regulations in the early, in mid two thousands, being like, "We we want to know what we want security and sort of what expected, so we want to know what to expect." And so they actually gave themselves very stringent regulations because they saw the right of the wall. Of course, now they're completely gone. You know, Ontario is the first government in I think North America to ban coal, and and but and the same thing is slowly happening with economists in. Um, in, because they see carbon burning as an inherently economic issue. Well, they, well, they, they see what well, yeah, well, they're starting to see is basically the idea that that there's there's X amount of oil that won't be able to be burned. So there's a whole bunch of money that currently basically a lot, all oil stocks, uh, in like Exxon oil stocks, are based off how many reserves they have and how much money they have. But and are you telling me they actually understand that they can't burn that? Well, economists are beginning to think that there's that there's X amount of that what, what is considered what is called unburnable carbon, basically unburnable oil, uh, which is X amount above what they have reserves have. Economists are starting to get wary of that of stocks of that area because they see the writing is on the wall. It's it's, it's and yeah, and what they're really concerned about is not like it's not about a slow decline. It's that all of a sudden there's going to be like at some point there's going to be some thing. And, and I don't think it's what you're saying in the sense of like a nuclear disaster, no, I mean, no, 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 a no, thing no. like that. But there will be some like big U.S. policy change yeah, that has cascade ripple effects, or, or out of nowhere the U.S. and, and China make some sort of agreement, uh, which I don't, don't fucking hold your breath, but, you know, <laughs> something like that happens. And then what's going to happen is it's just going to drop off a cliff. Yeah. It's just going to just go out of nowhere. And, like, these people are going to be out of business, for, uh, like, overnight. Mm. And and I think that, and this is sort of one of the points that I was making before about, I think damn well, you, I don't believe for a second that those oil industry CEOs, as as fat and greedy as stupid as I'm sure they all are, I don't think they're so stupid that they don't also realize that the writing's on the wall. So when they're but doing they're, things they're like going their out, worth on those those stocks, though. Yeah, it's. I mean, when they talk about like the assets by which they borrow against to invest in projects for future things like pipelines, yeah. they take the amount of oil they have yeah. in reserve, multiply that by an average market price, and that's their net worth. And they use that to go out and barter for things like mm. things. So if the price of oil drops off a cliff, all of a sudden all of their uh, all, 
all of the stuff about which they were basing against the lending to get that infrastructure is now worthless. So now they owe the bank all this money they don't have, or they owe all these investors money that they don't actually have because it was all being used in process, right? So, like, it's a, a total collapse. Like, people are like, oh, it's, the industry's too big. We learned about really big industries a few years ago. <laughs> you know, they can just disintegrate overnight because they're so big that they just implode on their own weight. So, and I mean, what I was saying with the, 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 the thing is that I, I think the CEOs, I think those companies get it too. And what, and the reason you're seeing so much aggressive action pushing for Keystone, pushing for this, pushing governments to silent scientists and all that stuff is not because they think they can change the tide of history. They know damn well they're running out of time, which is why they're trying to juice us for every last penny before they can. And this is the thing I was going on about a, a few weeks ago about, like, there's a robbery taking place. And right now, it's all the money for all the cleanup, for all the nasty stuff that's being swept up under the rug that we're going to find about years later about from the tar sands. And you and I and everybody else get to pay for that. And they're not going to. So they are, this is, I'm not, I'm not speaking in metaphor. They are quite literally robbing us because they're taking a bunch of profit for something and then leaving us to pay for stuff. That do the math. It's fucking robbery, right? So like, there's literally a heist going on right now by oil companies. Yeah, well, that's but of course, but as soon as you give economic terms, then it sounds so much not not nearly as bad. Those are externalities, Darren. Just, there aren't supposed not, to fucking be any. I took Eco 100. There are not supposed to be any externalities. So, but but see, there are externalities, and that's what that's all the and, you know. Just because you can exploit externalities as a business doesn't make them evil, Darren. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, but it's, we've now, we're, we're hitting about 45 minutes. I want to give everyone some last thoughts on this. We, I think, interestingly enough, we got it back to it almost answering the question, which I think is fantastic. Damn close. And I approve of all of this. <laughs> uh, but to give, I'll go Darren, then Dave, then I'll finish last thoughts, and then we'll finish this off. So, Darren. So, last thoughts. Um, I, I am opportunist, uh, opportunistic. I am optimistic in the sense that I do think that the message that I keep going on about mm-hmm. nobody noticing, uh, I think is very, very slowly starting to get penetration. I think the the slow realization that climate change is real is really making people understand because the reason I think that climate change was so hard to accept for most people at the first place was that as we as we were talking about before, people just didn't have a... Con- there wasn't a spot in their mind for the idea. Mm. There, that neuron connection had never before been connected. That we could possibly have enough impact to change the world. Mm. Because this whole, like, the thing that, that we grew up in, which was this instantly, this instantly globalized world, is very, 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 very new, right? And so people are used to think about towns and villages, and then how could a town possibly... Well, the world is now a series of towns. And so, like, the, that sort of perspective shift never happened. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with half of the Earth's population now, or whatever the age balance is, you know, the, the older generation. The, the, they just don't understand. They can't, it's, it's instinctively not in their, their makeup to just get that. And I think for people who are growing up now, who are in this globalized world, be like, well, of course we could. I can call someone in China on my cell phone. You know, right now I could do that. By but, that, but they by accident. <laughs> but they didn't grow up like that. So that that idea of something I do here can affect something on the other side of the planet isn't part of their makeup, and it is part of ours. Which is why it's like I I, I don't mean like support the youth movement in the fact that that I think that most of the ways in which youth can actually interact with the system right now mm-hmm. is useful. Mm-hmm. But when I because they're because they're being because they slash we are being marginalized and having our message silenced. Right. Um, but I do think that the only people that can solve the problem, because even the people that are quote-unquote on our side, I think, who are from that generation, they have the ability to empower younger people, but I don't think they really have the power to affect change in the way that needs to happen. Because they're, they're just, they didn't grow up in the same world that we live in. 
And, and it's up to them, I think, to pass on the ability because the, a bunch of young people are, are just informed enough, like, we can get this stuff done pretty fast. Mm. Like, most people get it. Right. <laughs> uh, but the people in power don't. So we need them to give up their power. Mm. Um, and, and just, or at least lend it for the purposes of getting some of this stuff done. Right. Because, uh, anyway, I'll, I could trail off for another hour there, but I'll just cut it off there. So, so, yeah, so uh, as a quick side, if that, if what the last two minutes of what Darren said interests you, check out Power Shift, because that's mm. sort of their entire mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll list some link there, too. Dave? These are last thoughts on why the environmental messages hasn't penetrated as... Or of the last 45 minutes. Any thought you have last 45 <laughs> minutes. Unless it's something about my hair, in which case, keep comments to yourself. Um... <laughs> Um, I mean, I would bring it back to, to the, the question of the, that we had of the podcast two times ago, okay. uh, when it was just Stefan and I, mm-hmm. about, um, what, about whether or not we think the world is getting worse. Um, I think in terms of power shift and empowerment in general, there are a lot of people who consider themselves powerless, understand, understand exactly what's happening, but have no framework in which to place themselves in, as an individual with, with capabilities um, to actually enact mm. change or what they think should happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you would you possibly suggest that people sign up as members to associate <laughs> this problem? With? I, I might suggest that. <laughs> um, and it's, it's the mentality of thinking that the world is inherently getting better and that progress just happens. Like, right. the idea of progress is so ingrained in people's minds throughout the whole past century of explosions and being able to have people live 50 years longer than they used to and all these amazing things we have, it just appears apparent that things inevitably get better over time. And it just doesn't make sense to have that as a mindset. Mm. Like, it's just a complete deferral of actual action on the part of the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, sweet dreams stuck in the 90s. 90s (laughs) baby. Sorry, I couldn't finish that. Okay, all right. (laughs) Let me finish it. Sweet dreams stuck in the 90s. 90s babies, it's a matter of time. Okay. Uh, I'll let that one speak for itself. Because <laughs> I'm certainly not speaking for that. The I'm going to end with one quick story of hope, a uh, little bit, and then I will we'll, we'll end this. Uh, in terms of the... Uh, we always talk about whether or not you know people with jobs, how they're going to figure this out, blah, 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 blah. And I... I'm quite certain that my stepbrother does not listen to this this podcast. He is probably the quintessential person that we would sort of describe as one of these people who is so busy that you'd be surprised if they did anything. Two kids, job, wife, you know, the whole nine yards of family life in your early 30s. But last night, they're in town, and I was talking to them, and what was interesting is his, his wife came to me and very, very excitedly explained to me that what they were doing for their vegetables, which was basically that they had, they decided they only wanted to eat locally. And this was difficult to do in the winter because it's the winter and winter in Canada is not so great for vegetables and that sort of thing. So they, and what, so they did is, is they're now getting their vegetables from delivered from a greenhouse that is in the, in their city. A greenhouse on top of a rooftop greenhouse is growing the vegetables, and then it's dropped That's where off. Getting their That's where they get the vegetables from. And this is agriculture in the city. Uh, it's exactly it's exactly the type of sustainability that we need to see. 
And if this is how the next generation of young families are going to buy into environmentalism, which is really living a sustainable, trying to, you know, even as, the, the localism, I think, is really quite important. And the idea of keeping things as local as possible does wonders for many, many ways and does wonders for sustainability. Uh, so perhaps all is not lost and perhaps, perhaps messaging did work. Perhaps to some extent, there was, if, if this is how the next generation is going to feed themselves in, and, and if localism is really going to win in this way. Maybe maybe there is hope. So with that, and with not to go back to Dave's wonderful song yet. These vegetables are delivered to their door. Uh, it, it's it, they pick them up near them near their work, I believe. But there, but in in Toronto, we mentioned that there is a group called the Good Food Box, which does a very similar thing, which yeah, does yeah. which will deliver to your door. Uh, but this is thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, Check out if you're interested in green uh, agriculture. This will be released on Tuesday, and on third and on Friday, the Green Majority actual the actual radio show will have a whole thing on urban agriculture. The Jake and bees. Jacob, the seed dude. Seed we bee. got uh, Scott, who's a PhD student, who's going to be talking about uh, bees and how bees relate to urban farming. Yeah, uh, and we're going to do a bunch of other cool stuff. It's yeah. going to be neat, but a, a lot of very urban agriculture theme next week. Exactly. Yeah. So we got four days to listen to this and hear that to watch, then listen to it on Friday, or just follow the podcast on thegreenmajority.ca. So, However, we will not be testing on this material, so if, uh, if no. you missed, it's fine. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so this is, again, for the full song, in case you missed, in case the first 15 seconds enticed you so much you'll listen to the whole thing, this is A Block of Ice by the O.C.'s. (laughs) 